Team Team, Boafik, I hope you're ready to discuss Caribbean literature. I'm Mayla, a romance author from Guadeloupe. This is how I present myself today, but it took me about 20 years to give myself permission to write about my people falling in love and finding happiness. Why? Well, thank you for asking and I'm going to tell you why. I never got to read about Caribbean people being happily in love until 2019. And chances are, especially if you're listening to this podcast in 2021, you probably haven't either. That's why I decided to record my discussions with Caribbean authors who will give you an idea of their motivations and the issues they faced to get their romance stories published. My hope is for you to be inspired to write, to buy, because we're here to support, and to read romance stories set in the Caribbean with Caribbean people. On why. Tim, Tim, welcome to episode 4, part 1. Happy New Year. I hope you and your loved ones will stay healthy and be surrounded with love. The COVID-19 situation in France is really getting out of control and we're living in such anxiety that I truly don't know how I would have kept going if I didn't have my podcasts and my website to keep my mind focused on positive things. So today we're going to Antigua and Barbuda to talk with Joanne C. Hillhouse, a.k.a. Jo Hadley. She's been in the game since the early 2000s. To me, she's the blueprint of what a 21st century Caribbean author can be. She has released seven books so far, including children's books, poetry, nonfiction, and fiction, of course. She's also a reporter, an editor, she organizes writing workshops, she's a content creator, and a Caribbean culture curator. She's just awesome. In this first segment, we talk about how she was introduced to romance in her teens and how being from a colonized island still has an impact in the way we write love in the Caribbean. Tim Tim, I have been, I got into writing through reading and through the imagination. And then of course, when I hit my teens, I found that writing was a good channel for all of the um, confusion and com complications and contradictions of that transition from childhood to adulthood. Writing basically became that thing that helped me to channel life. And so I began writing most prolifically in my teens and I haven't stopped. Would you call yourself a romance writer? I read a lot of romance in, I would say, my pre-teens and my teens. I remember vividly um, one summer, and this would be when I was still in primary school, because I remember we were at the old house still living with my grandparents. And my mom had a bag, of a plastic bag of books, like behind a bed. I read all of those books, like in, I don't know, it felt like I read them in one sitting and they were all Mills and Boons. So um, I guess romance was one of my introductions to adult literature um, because those Mills and Boons then segued into Silhouette Desire and all of the other um, romance brands. And um, Sweet Dreams, Teen Romance, Sweet Valley High, um, Wakefield Twins. So all of those things that 
teenagers would pass around to each other because I didn't have a lot of books. I didn't have a personal library, you know, whatever books were available. I remember one of the first books I read was a book called Ludell and Willie by Brenda Wilkinson. That was a teen romance. So obviously at a certain point in my life, I ate it up like good food, but I think I grew out of it after a time because it felt, it started to feel repetitive. And then I started to discover, discover other forms of literature and I'm not really a genre reader. I read what I love, period. So I am a reader of romance, but not exclusively and not as um, much as I used to in my teens. Um, I don't consider myself a romance writer in the same way that I don't consider myself a children's book writer. I write stories and the stories take the form that they take. Um, because I don't have bias, as relates to genre, I love to experiment and play in different um, playgrounds. I love to experiment with everything from speculative fiction to historical fiction to romance. Um, I think because romance is basically relationships, that sometimes when I'm exploring the relationships, you know, that I'm either living or, or thinking about, it comes out in that form. And so that's, I mean, we get a little bit more into the book specifically, but I don't think either of those books set out to be romance, but I am happy that romance lovers find romance in them because that I did, I did infuse that aspect into them and I did want to make those connections. And of course, with a title like Dancing Nude in the Moonlight, how could it not be? Uh, yeah, so that's interesting because when I'm going to release my books, uh, like through Amazon, for instance, I will have to check some categories and my books don't fit anywhere in Amazon because for Amazon, it's all about um, when you talk about black, well, stories with black characters, uh, you only have one tag and it's the African-American tag. That's a problem I find, yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering if a Caribbean romance was the term we could use to gather all the stories that would fit into this category. But being Caribbean is so diverse. So I don't know either if it could work. So for you, how would you define Caribbean romance? I would just jump off of what you said real quick. I don't think books, I mean, I know what has to happen from a marketing standpoint in terms of where things sit on the shelf. But I don't think books are as easily categorizable as that, as simple as that. I think books exist in several spaces at once. What is the dominant genre of course that's what you end up putting it in but i don't think it's that it's as simple as that Caribbean romance is as as varied and as complicated as the people i think about stories like um loving this man by althea prince which the title notwithstanding then delves into issues of um you know growing up and the struggles of growing up and 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 the migration and, and Black power and all these things. But at the heart of it is, you know, this effort to connect with someone and to, to love and be loved. So I don't think Caribbean romance is simple. I think it's complicated, but it exists in various forms. I don't know how to answer that question specifically. It's, it's romance is love and the complications that come with love. And Caribbean romance is as varied as there are Caribbean people trying to connect with each other. In Dancing Nude in the Moonlight, you have a cricketer, a sort of washed up cricketer from Antigua and uh, an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. And the heart of the story is them connecting and finding and, and navigating that relationship. But within that story, you have history and you have politics and you have familial relations 
tensions and, and familial tensions um, between sisters and between him and his mother and him and his uncle and, you know, um, issues of um, abandonment in terms of his case. And, and I think that I write that type of romance and that I see romance as sort of not this fanciful thing, but as sort of, you know, rooted in these realities as well is a product of growing up in the Caribbean and also reflective of why I eventually got sort of bored with the romance that I, romances that I read in my teens is that I always felt like if I ever wrote one, it couldn't just be boy meets girl, boy chases girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. There has to be more happening around it because that's, you know, that adds flavor and color to it and that adds a sense of reality and tension and all of that to it. So um, Caribbean romance for me is real. I mostly read uh, U.S. Black romance, so I'm used to see Black couples. And I, I feel like there's a, a disconnect in the French Caribbean uh, community. When it's about writing love, writing about love, I find it very weird that they can only picture love with a white man or a white character. I'm not sure how old you are, but one of the things that's interesting to me about what you just said is you primarily read Black romance. When I was a teen, there weren't a lot of those around. I, I grew up in the 80s, and the books that were available in terms of popular romance were primarily white people and other white people. I mean, Mills and Boone obviously is before my time. Those are my mother's books, but the books from my era was a lot of white people. Didn't see ourselves at all. And then I remember when the, the Black romance lines started coming online. And of course, Black people ate them up. Black people in America, Black people in the Caribbean, Black, because we had never had such a feast. So I didn't read a lot of those because by that time I was phasing out of romances. And I noticed when I look at the landscape now, at least online, there are all these niche areas. There's a lot of swirly sort of romances. Um, there's a niche for that. And, and um you know, black love. And, and so it's like, you know, people finding their avenues and that sort of thing. So obviously, if they're doing black women and white men, that's, so there's some niche for that. Um, and we know, you know, as a writer and a reader, and I know as a writer and a reader that often, there's certain communities that are underserved and don't get to see themselves enough. Um, and that's not particular or unique to France. I actually think the UK and America have the same issues, but it's just that the demand, I guess, has pushed them to create these other avenues where you're seeing black, more Black romance novels and so on. But when I was a teen, it wasn't a thing, at least not that I was aware of. Uh, well, I grew up uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s when I started reading romance, but my experience mm -hmm. is a bit different because I started reading romance through fan fictions with... Uh, black singers. So since they were black, you, so you were finding a lot. You were finding a lot of black voices in fan fiction. No, <laughs> no. So that's but what I'm saying. I, I don't. I don't find this. Even when there's black, even when the fan fiction is based on stories where you have canon black characters, they're almost, in my observation, so often erased or overlooked in fan fiction because the fan fiction space seems to be a particular point of view yes. a lot of the time. That's yes. my observation. I was reading in English. It wasn't in French because there was nothing in French. That's exactly what okay. you're saying. Okay. And, okay. and however, now I, I would say like in the past 10 years, uh, there are more books like 
not fat fiction that really mean books in French, but it, although the writers are from the French Caribbean, they're Black and, well, let's say Afro-Caribbean, I feel like they still center the white gaze. Which and is not unusual. I f don't you find, I mean, I have spoken about this before that, I mean, the fact of the matter is that we are coming out of a colonized mindset in a way that our education, I mean, let's speak for the British Caribbean where I'm from. Antigua became independent in 1981. Our education system, our political structures, our civil service, our all of that is still built on what came before. Obviously, we're evolving and you have new ideas coming through, but the transformation is not complete and the transformation of the mind is not complete. I know for myself that my earliest stories when I look back at the first things that I wrote, who is this? Whose point of view is this? You're writing what, you, what you've seen stories look like. You're not writing the stories that you live because you think stories have to be a particular thing because this is the thing that's, I mean, the, the, the media that was coming to us, the movies and the, the songs and so much of it was from outside. Obviously, once you start creating, you're going to start mimicking what you've ingested before you find your own voice. And sometimes you never grow out of that because the marketplace is, is demanding a certain type of thing. The marketplace is not necessarily demanding um, our voices. We have to insist on it. But so it's easier sometimes to write in a particular lane. I mean, I choose not to write in that lane and I don't judge others who do because, you know, if you can make bank, you make bank. But the fact is that the marketplace is not catering for us. And so we have to insist on our voices. And I think we also have to go into realizing that our voices matter as much as the voices we've ingested for how many years of our lives and how many generations before that, if you get my point. That's why I love to talking with other people to hear their experiences, because for me, when I was, I grew up in Guadeloupe and I feel like I got very lucky to, to come across teachers who were very, who cared a lot about representation. So I never had to think about the white gaze until I think I finished high school. Okay. When I moved to. Well, I think I did. I think I did read a blog of yours where you you spoke about your university experience. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. and, and, and that's when uh, I was confronted to that. I think one of the one of the things that we've been fortunate we in the Caribbean, in as much as yes, you have colonialism and yes, you have um, cultural penetration, cultural dominance in terms of the content from outside. We still live in a world that. You know, we hear our language, we hear our oral stories, we hear our calypso, our soca, and all of that. So we still get a fair amount of ingestion of us. We just yeah. need to, at a certain point, um, realize that we can also add to that narrative and tell stories. And I think for me, because there was so little in print that I was aware of coming from my culture, that was the aspect of it that I had to, to learn. But the calypso, the oral history, the lived history, the food, everything, all that was already there and already loved and already beloved and a part of me. So I, there was no rejection of self in that sense, but coming to a fuller understanding of self, that is a continuous journey. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out timtimboafik.com for more Caribbean books. You can email me at timtimboafik at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at timtimboafik. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Core. And to help the podcast to get more visibility, share it with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and you can give it five stars on Apple Podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you à dans d'autres soleils.